You know, one of the reasons I think that we're studying the book of Revelation is because we're living in some crazy times. Uh, I don't, we don't know for sure, and I want to make sure this is clear, because sometimes there's confusion. You know, we look around at the world today, and uh, we, we see the signs of the times, huh? It seems like, man, it's very soon. And, and the truth is, it, it can be. I mean, the rapture can happen at any moment. But at the end of the day, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So we don't know for sure. I, I guess what, what, one of the things I, I, I pray that we would always have in our hearts is just that we'd always be ready. Because the Lord can come at any moment. So the book of Revelation, when we get to chapter 6 through 19, it talks about the end times. It talks about the things that are going to happen after the church is raptured. And so a lot of times people will equate the book of Revelation with only that. You know, what's going to happen uh, at the second coming and, and all that stuff and the tribulation. And, and we will get there eventually. But right now in chapters 2 and 3, what we're doing, you guys, is we're, we're doing an examination just out of curiosity, how many of you here today, uh, sometime today, looked in the mirror? Did anybody here? Some of you guys spent a little longer, Heather. <laughs> you know, because we need to kind of look in the mirror to see, uh, Lord, is there anything uh, in my life that is getting in the way of the power of God working in me, working in us as a church? And so Revelation 2 and 3 is kind of like that. It's Jesus looking at us and saying, Hey, you know, how are you doing in this area? And, you know, have you flossed your teeth? Have you combed your hair? Have you washed your face? You know, is your shirt uh, ironed or blouse? You know, it's a way of us being able to see um, not only, however, with our eyes, but with Jesus' eyes. You know, when Jesus looks at you, number one, he loves you. Number one, he loves you. And so may you never forget that. But in that love, if there's anything in your life that's dangerous or needs to leave, then he'll share that with you because he wants to bless your life. And so chapters 2 and 3 is Jesus talking to the church and we're saying, hey, these are the things that are. This is what's going on. And so you might remember the first church we looked at was the church of Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus had left their first love. And so he's saying, hey, come back to your first love. You know, and I think for all of us here, that's something that we can all examine our lives on. Let me ask you a question. Is the Lord number one in your life? Is he first in your life? Uh, what's the first commandment? Who can tell me? Yeah. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Are we doing that? Has anything come between us and the Lord? So he's calling us back to our first love. Um, he deserves to be first because then from there you're going to experience the blessings of life. So that's the church of Ephesus. But then last week we studied the church of Smyrna and we saw that they were a suffering church. How many of you here have suffered? How many of you here are going through hard times? How many of you here, it seems like you're being persecuted, bombarded. I mean, the enemy's after you. And that, that's the church of Smyrna. And the Lord lifted them up as an example. And he said, listen, they're going through very difficult times, even to the point of death. But they did not deny their faith. And so, like I always tell you guys, no matter what happens, because I know we're going to go through trials in life and storms and all these things, please, 
never give up. Please never stop believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what you go through. Because one day, man, we'll be home. So you have that whole aspect of the Church of Ephesus having left their first love and the Smyrna going through the suffering. Now we come to the third uh, church, the Church of Pergamos. And what this church kind of struggled with is compromise. Uh, They they lacked um, that absolute surrender. They allowed things in the church that that weren't right. And so God is going to show up and God is going to speak to them and God is going to warn them. And God is going to say, hey, if you don't get right, uh, uh, you're going to have some some discipline. There's going to be some craziness that God was going to come on, and He's going to deal with that. So He's a it's a warning, but it's also a promise that listen, if there's something in your life that's not right, and today we do business today, you uh, man, you're you're like I surrender, I give it up, I, I lay it down, then He will bless your life in ways that are beyond our understanding. We're even going to see that today in the scriptures. But let's read it together and then we'll come back and we'll kind of break it down a little bit. Revelation chapter 2, if you have your Bible, look at verse 12. It says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and do not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Palak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel and to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name, written which no one knows except him who receives it. And so the Lord here is writing to the angel of the church in Pergamos. And so the angel, it literally means messenger. And so he's writing to the messenger, you know, the pastor, the teachers, the leadership. Why is that? Because he loves the people. And he's saying, I'm going to talk to this guy. I'm going to send him a message. And I want him to send the message to the people. And so it's a, it's a message to, to the angel, it's a message to the leadership, and then a message to the fellowship. And in this case, it is the church in Pergamos. Now, Pergamos was a pretty uh, crazy city. It was the capital of the province of Asia. As a matter of fact, by the time the book of Revelation had been written, it had been in a capital for 400 years. Think about that. Uh, Previously, it was a capital in Greece, and then it became the capital of uh, Asia. And so it was a city that boasted 250,000 people, about 20 miles inland. It was the northernmost city of all the seven uh, written to in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. 
Uh, Pergamos, however, was also a very pagan center of idol worship. And kind of as we've seen already, uh, there was, this was a city that worshipped Rome. And so they worshipped Rome. Imagine that, worshipping your country. Uh, they worshipped uh, the emperor. Imagine that, worshipping the, the, the leader of the country. They actually uh, were the first city to build a temple, a temple to the emperor. And so there was a lot of crazy things going on there. They had uh, uh, other gods that they worshipped, uh, Athena, Asclepius. Uh, they, they worshipped uh, um, Dionysus and, and Zeus. Uh, that Asclepius god is the one, have you guys ever seen the, the, the medical uh, symbol with the snake on, the, on this pole? Um, more than likely, this is the origin of that. And so this was going on. I remember when I went to Singapore. Would you guys like to go to Singapore? It, it would be pretty cool. Um, on our way to Cambodia, we spent a couple of days there. But I'll never forget, man, going down the street and seeing all these uh, uh, temples, you know, Buddhists and Hindus. But the thing about uh, the, the, those religions is they have multiple gods. I mean, literally millions of gods. And so I remember one time going down the street and just seeing all these temples, and I was just blown away with that. that that's kind of what was going on in Pergamos. And we kind of see that even here, huh? In El Marni, man. I'm like, whoa, trip out on that, you know, new building right there, you know, to that God. Or, you know, you go down the street and there's a palm reader. Um, a lot of crazy things are happening. This, this was where the church of Pergamos was. Uh, as a matter of fact, no traveler could visit Pergamos without being inundated by the totality of temples. And not just temples, they had altars everywhere. And so the city had often been described by historians as a strong center of paganism. So much so that, G, uh, that it is described as the city, Jesus said, where Satan's throne is. Did you catch that? So, man, I mean, Satan doesn't just live there. Satan rules from there. And I, and I guess, like, today you're like, well, what has that got to do with me, Manny? I guess one of the things that it has to do with us is that, you know, I know the enemy's trying to take you down. I know that. The Lord knows that. And some of you, you're, you know, you're going through the trials uh, even more so than others, and, and it's a difficult place to be. But, man, God will give you the strength. Here was a church in Pergamos with all these altars. We're going to see later they had a, 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 a temple and, a, and an altar to Zeus with a throne that was 40 feet high. Think about that, the size of a telephone pole. And so um, they, not only did they have all these altars, one of the things that's significant about Pergamos that I thought was interesting is they had a library of 200,000 books. Now, you might not think that's a big deal, but back then it was because, remember, all those books were written by hand. And so it was second only to the city of Alexandria in Egypt, uh, which had a bigger library. And so this was Pergamos. This is where Jesus is writing to. But notice how he reveals himself in verse uh, 12, again, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write, These things says he who has a sharp, two-edged sword. Now, the Greek word translated sword here, it actually refers to a long sword, usually worn over the shoulder, 
because it's too long to wield in the sheath on the side. And so Jesus here is presenting himself in a way that it, it's kind of scary in one sense, you know? Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, Revelation 19, 15, and verse 21 of the same chapter talk about this sword that actually proceeds out of the mouth of Christ. Now, there are some in looking at this sword that say that what this is is simply the Word of God, the double-edged sword of the Bible. But when you read, like, for example, Ephesians 6.17 and uh, Hebrews 4.12, it uses a different word to describe the sword of the Word. And so, more than likely, you guys, this is not the sword of the Spirit. This is the sword of the Son, More than likely, what Jesus is saying here is, listen, I'm coming to you, and, and I, and I love you, and, and for some, you know, you, you need to know that you gotta get your life right. Because Jesus is not only, uh, the lamb, he's also the lion. He's not just our savior, he's also the judge. How many of you here, you want that power of the Holy Spirit? I'm just curious. Don't you want that? And wouldn't it be cool if our church had that power of the Holy Spirit so that we can go out there and, uh, and reach people? You know, there's so many poor people in the city of Almani. There's so many uh, gals, unfortunately, that are working the streets. There's so many of these kids that don't have a dad and they need a father figure. I mean, today I have the opportunity to go into to the jail in Almani, and I don't know what that individual is going through in their life, but to be able to minister to them. See, the church, you're beautiful. But a lot of times we're not powerful because we don't realize that there's things that need to go. There's things that we need to clean up. How many of you guys, uh, do you like cleaning? I'm just curious. Do you like cleaning? When was the last time you cleaned anything? <laughs> I mean, we do it all the time, right? I mean, how many of you guys wash dishes in the last couple of days? I'm just curious. I want to see if any guys... Daniel, you raise your hand. I'm so proud of you. David, okay, cool. I mean, why? What, what, what are you saying, Manny? I'm saying this, and I'm saying this about myself, that we get dirty, that things have a tendency to go sideways and, and we constantly need to check and see what needs to go, what needs to be cleaned up so that we can be powered up. And so Jesus comes and he's saying, I'm warning you, please, li- listen to what I have to say. Uh, another thing that I thought was interesting is uh, uh, um, the whole aspect of evaluation. Uh, do you guys ever get evaluated by uh, maybe your boss? How many of you guys have been evaluated at work or you, you've done that kind of stuff, right? And so when you go in front of your boss and he tells you, hey, uh, usually it's not just what you're doing wrong. Usually he'll tell you some of the things you're doing right, unless you're really bad, right? So that's what Jesus does here in verse uh, 13. He says, again, I know your works and, and where uh, you dwell. I know your works. Jesus says, I see you. Don't think that I don't see. I see the way you serve me. I see the way you're not unemployed when it comes to the kingdom of God. I I see your inspiration. I see your occupation, your good deeds uh, that you do for me. I I see that. 
And then secondly, we mentioned the fact that he sees not only what we do, he sees where we live, right? I know where you dwell, he said, in that satanic city where Satan's throne is. I trip out on that that phrase right there. And I wonder sometimes, Lord, um, do I live there? I don't know. Pergamos was a city that was unique. But I have a hunch, man, that a lot of you guys are getting hit hard by the enemy. And the Lord says, I see where you live. You see, God not only knows where we live, he knows everything about our life and he knows our neighbors and the numbers of demons that might be uh, harassing us. He doesn't need to take a census of Satan's servants. He knows where we dwell and where they dwell. And so he tells them, listen, I see how Satan not only inhabits Pergamos, but he rules from Pergamos. And there's a lot to this, but this is the, did you guys know that you're in a war? Ephesians chapter 6, it says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, you know, we, he sees that, and we need to see that. You know, I don't want to freak anybody out. I don't want to strike fear into anyone's heart, but we need to speak truth. You know, God loves you. God has a plan for your life. The devil hates you and he has a plan for your life. And, and that's the reality of what's going on. And that's why it's so important that we take this whole Christianity thing seriously. You know, God sees uh, what we do. God sees where we live. He God sees, you know, who's around us. And there's a reality there. Now, in Pergamos, it's interesting because, uh, like I said earlier, uh, it was a temple dedicated to Caesar there. And Warren Wiersbe, how many of you guys know, have heard of Warren Wiersbe? He's a real solid Bible teacher. He believes that that is, that what that's in reference to is the, the uh, temple to the emperor. That that's really what he's talking about. That, you know, there was that temple and it was just so dominant and it was so dark. And they lived in the midst of that. Others point, like I said earlier, to the altar, uh, to the Greek god Zeus it was uh, an altar that was shaped like a throne, and the throne was over 40 feet high. So imagine, you see that, and, and that's there. While others say this, and this is kind of controversial, but some teachers believe that maybe what he's referring to is the library. And you're like, what do you mean the library? Well, one of the things that can get in the way of the Lord working in our lives is uh, that verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Professing to be wise, uh, they became fools. And what we find in looking at that is that, man, there is an aspect where a lot of people, unfortunately, they explain away God. Even though the evidence is everywhere as far as, man, how he made the skies and the trees and, and the birds and the wind and you and I and, and love, even though there's evidence of a creator, you know, you go to school and they start teaching you in a relatively young age that you are not a, created by God, that you're a product of random chance, of a series of fortuitous occurrences, that you are just an evolved species. And professing to be wise, they became fools. 
And we see that a lot, unfortunately, in the world that we live in today. Maybe that's what, you know, Jesus is talking about. We gotta be careful with the idols. We gotta be careful with the temples. We gotta be careful with even these things that, you know, you're gonna learn one day. I would encourage you to equip your young people with uh, apologetics, you know, and as they're gonna go to high school, they're gonna go to college, they're gonna go to universities, and they're gonna hear all this, and they're gonna have to make a decision, and they're gonna have to have an, an answer for why they believe in a personal creator. So so the Lord says to them, listen, I know your works, I know where you live, and I know your faith. That it's been firm even in dangerous days. You know, like their brothers and sisters in Smyrna, the believers in Pergamos had suffered persecution, and one of their men had actually died for their faith. It may have been their leader. According to history, it was a tradition, and it is likely that Antipas was executed for refusing to worship the emperor. And so, you know, you're there, the Lord says, I see, even through the dangerous days, the dark days, I see what's going on, I see your life, and I see how you've even held to your faith, even in the midst of all the struggles. And so there's that commendation, praise God for that, But if you want the fullness, if you want the power of the Holy Spirit, if you want life and that more abundantly, let's talk about what needs to go. Then he deals now with the conviction in verse 14. He says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. So let me kind of put you in a scenario, um, and I don't know if you can use your imagination. Can you guys do that today? Okay, use your imagination, okay? You're here, and all of a sudden, you, you know, you get ushered into the room over there, and in the room over there is Jesus. Is Jesus. Okay, so what would you do? Everybody, we would all bow down, huh? We'd be like, <gasps> we'd bow down like crazy, right? And so you're there, and you're in that room, and then this, you know, you start having the conversation with Jesus. And, uh, and then Jesus has, says, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Um, and, and you're like, yeah, Lord. And, and he'll say, is it okay for me to share with you like about your life, like how you're doing? And, you know, it's Jesus, and he knows everything, and he loves you, right? And so what would you say? You'd say, sure, Lord. (laughs) Absolutely. So let me ask you another question, okay? So you're there, and you're having this, you know, Jesus is going to say, okay, I'm going to tell you about your life. How many of you here think that you would bat 100%, that he would just have nothing, no, absolutely no room for improvement? Just out of curiosity, none of us here would, huh? We all have areas of our life that need to change. And I think that one of the challenges of life is to find out what those are. You read Psalm 139, and that's where uh, the psalmist says, Search me and know me, and Lord, show me those areas of my life that need to change. And so that's what God is doing now to this church here 
in uh, Pergamos. He says, I have a few complaints against you. And you as a church, you tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam. He says, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. And so, you know, like the Lord would look at our church and he'd say, Hey, Manny, hey, you know, you pastors, I know, you know, you guys believe right, but there are people in your church that are, 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 are not believing the right things and they might even be teaching others the wrong things. And you're just allowing it. You're just compromising. You know, um, you have there those who teach the doctrine of Balaam. And there's a lot to the doctrine of Balaam. You read Numbers 22 through 24. And, and basically what Balaam did was in order to make money, uh, he was hired by the king uh, of Moab, Balak, to curse the people of Israel. But as he went and he looked, uh, and again, that whole story is fascinating. That's the story where the donkey spoke to him. Remember that story? And so um, he looked over all the people, kind of like you, like I'm looking at you. And here's the thing. You are God's children. He loves you because you put your faith in Jesus. I read that today in Romans chapter 4. It's so simple. Believe on Jesus. And as you've done that, now, guess what? The enemy can't curse you. And so Balaam tried to curse the God's people, and, and he couldn't. He got three times. He couldn't. Because you can't be cursed. And so it doesn't mean that you're not going to go through difficulties. We are going to go through difficulties. But it just means that what we do experience, God has allowed. Satan does not have his way over your life. So we can't be cursed. But the thing that, that Balaam taught uh, uh, Balak and the Moabites is that you can get them to curse themselves, kind of. And so what he did is he said, okay, all you got to do is send the ladies down there and you know, have them come and seduce the men. And uh, what they'll do while they're engaged in that whole uh, activity in order to justify it, they would worship their gods. And so it was a combination of sexual immorality and idolatry. And he's saying, you guys have people in your church that think it's okay to be a Christian and, and to look at pornography. It's okay to be a Christian and, you know, to be engaged in sexual morality in different forms. If you guys have people in your church that think it's okay to put um, people, places, or things before God, guilty of idolatry. You guys have people in your church. Another aspect of Balaam was for him, it was all about money. You know, you read in the scripture, Second Peter 2, verse 15, it says, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Have you guys ever seen those teachers on TV? And it's, a, it's crazy. You know, they have $3,000 suits. I mean, nice suits. I guess there's nothing wrong with it. You know, they've got a $100,000 car. You know, they've got million-dollar mansions. And they tell you that if you really believe and if you've you got faith, that you should be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Have you guys ever seen those guys on TV? They're false prophets. And we can't tolerate them 
for a moment. We can't even tolerate the soft version, like a Joel Osteen, who says, you know, positive messages, I don't need to tell you about sin or anything that would make you feel uncomfortable. You know, um, I'll just tell you about how you can live a good life. And of course, I mean, we all want to live a good life. But if I were to tell you that there's not going to be difficulties, then I would be lying to you. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So you can't allow those things in. You can't allow those books in, in, in your library. You can't allow those people teaching that types of doctrine. You know, I mean, the other day, uh, someone showed me a picture of a pastor on Instagram who was drinking whiskey. Whiskey. And I thought to myself, Lord, never again. Never again will I recommend this man. Never, never again will I listen to his studies. Because we can't have that. We can't tolerate that. We can't compromise in our doctrine. You know, that's what the Lord is saying right here. You have people in this church that are teaching the, the doctrine of Balaam. And again, there's probably, you know, more to it, but he definitely mentions the, the, the idolatry, the sexual immorality. And in verse 15, he says, and you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing he says, I hate. And so, you know, some people think, well, doctrine's not that important, Manny. You know, you just got to have, like, love. And let's have fun. And let's, uh, let's do social activities that would benefit the community. And, and, and okay, everything has their, their place. But we have to make sure that we're rightly dividing and rightly declaring the word. And so, for us as a church... And I think for the church in general, we just have to look and say, hey, is there any of this that's not right? You know, you get those guys knocking on your doors. My friend, he actually had someone call him from the Jehovah Witnesses. And I can't believe it. And he's like, how'd you get my number? Oh, it's in the Yellow Pages. I I didn't even know there's still such a thing as the Yellow Pages. And he said, well, take me off, you know, because... um, in all reality, they teach a different Jesus. We can't. I mean, we love everybody. Don't get me wrong. We love everybody. We love those who believe different than us. But we don't bring them into this realm of, you know, believers. We don't, you know, let our children loose on those who would seduce them. You know, one time I was invited to do an invocation at a local event in the city of Almani, and I said yes, but then I wasn't expecting this. Later on, they told me that there's going to be representatives of multiple faiths. And I said, oh, you mean, like, you know, you know, we're talking all the, you know, Islam, and we're talking about, you know, the crazy things that are out there. And uh, I said, well, I can't. I can't participate in that because I just don't want anyone to think that I would endorse that. And so the lady said, well, you have to, because you're on the brochure. And I told her, I'm sorry, I can't. Now again, you guys, don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean that we don't love them. It doesn't mean, you know, that kind of stuff. But what it does mean is that in the church, we have to be pure. In the church, there has to be this doctrine, Acts 2.42 says, of the apostles. 
You know, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, we don't know exactly what that is. Uh, and so I don't want to speculate too much on that. But it's interesting, the two words in the Greek, um, you guys might know. Um, the first word is the word uh, Nike. So do you, any of you guys have Nikes? I'm just curious. Does anyone here have any Nikes today? Okay, we have one person with Nikes. Nike is a Greek word, and it means victory. Okay, so it kind of makes sense, huh, to have t- tennis shoes that say victory, because if you wear those tennis shoes, you're the, you run faster. Did you guys know that? So, so the first word is Nike. The, six, the second word is where we get our word laity. And so laity is kind of like the, the normal person, you know, not the pastor, not the, uh, the leader, uh, someone within the congregation. And so uh, Warren Wiersbe and some other well-respected teachers believe that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is actually uh, something in which you started elevating leaders to the point that they were esteemed and they controlled and they were kind of like seen as intermediaries between, you know, God and the people. Just out of curiosity, did any of you hear prior to becoming a Christian were, were Catholics, just out of curiosity? And did you ever go to confession? And, and you, you know, you go to the screen right there and you kneel down and you say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. It's been a year since my last confession and these are my sins. And you start telling him your sins, right? It's interesting, this whole period of time here at Pergamos, it, it, it might be represented by, uh, and I believe it's uh, AD 312, when Constantinople uh, uh, legalized Christianity and he gave favor to Christianity and he became eventually the government religion. And what ended up happening is these people began to have such power that they began to you know, be like intermediaries between the people. You guys know this, right? That you are, some of you guys, I would venture to say, are probably closer to God than I am. Because God doesn't look and say, oh, that's the pastor, and you know, he's, he's different, and he's closer, and he's special. No. One day when we're in heaven, do you think that it's just the pastors that are going to receive the great reward? Absolutely not. Some of you here that we don't even know your name and you've never been up in the front, but you love the Lord so much and you're so fervent in your prayers and you've been so faithful with the calling on your life, you're going to receive a bigger reward than me. I have no doubt about it. You have direct access to God. You can go straight to God. And so basically what we're seeing here is that God says, I, I hate that. And so don't tolerate it. This is, their, this is where they were struggling. And so what does the Lord tell them to do? Well, his counsel is pretty simple there in verse 16. Uh, repent. <laughs> you know, he just says, you know, make sure that if there's any, anybody, you know, teaching weird things, uh, a lot of times, you gals, my heart goes out to you because some guy's going to come along and try to seduce you. Um, man, first kick him in the chin, shins, first kick him. If some guy, some wolf, tries to get to you, and then we'll kick him out. 
You know, we have to be careful with this stuff. You got somebody, and we've talked about this, you know, if you, if you see something, say something. Even if you sense something, say something. And so, what does the Lord say? Repent. And he's talking to the church leaders and he's saying, hey, you guys, you know, you have to do a Matthew 18 with them. You have to go to them. If they don't want to get right, then you have to tell them they can't fellowship here anymore. That's the repentance that he's talking about. That's the cleansing that he's talking about. And that cleansing is in the church. I think that cleansing has to do with things that can happen in your home. And I also think that that cleansing has something to do in our own hearts. And like I said earlier, I want God to move, and I know you do too, but we have to clean house. And every once in a while, man, wash those dishes. God says, repent. Um, not toleration, but that's communication. You can't have them there, man. He exposed them and then expel them. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, he says there in verse 17. And that's so important, to listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit. Because um, the Lord says, if not, he gives the negative and the positive. He says, if not, look at verse 16. Or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them. With the sword of my mouth. And so if you don't help them and, 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 you know, straighten things out as a pastor, you know, if you don't assume your responsibility to preach the word and then, in, you know, in, in one sense enforce the word, then I am going to come, Jesus said, with my double-edged sword and I'm going to deal with them. And it could be them it could be us as a church. And that's why the Lord says, hey, you got to make sure that you get this right. You know, um, the, the negative consequences is that Jesus would come and make war with them. And that's a heavy, heavy statement. You know, it's something for us to know as, as, as pastors, as parents, um, as people of God. And so he says, you know, Repent or else, you know, I'm going to come and, and make war and fight against them. That's the negative consequence. But then the positive consequence here, it says to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat and I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. And so... um some people in this, if if we overcome, if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if we meddle with the middle, if we clean out our heart, you know, guys, and I, I talk to guys all the time struggling with pornography. If you're struggling with pornography, please make yourself accountable. That will destroy you. It is so satanic. Sexual immorality. God says, I'm warning you, I'm warning you, I'm warning you. You've got to get it right. Because if not, Jesus is coming to you with this double-edged sword. You know, he's saying, let's make sure that we get these things right. And if you do, maybe you're here today and, and you're, you're good. You know, you're good. There's a lot of you here today, praise God, you love Jesus. You're not perfect, none of us are, but you are proper. And you're a good man, so to speak, like Barnabas was, because of what the Lord has done in your life. And you, you are a man of integrity, a woman of integrity, man. And so praise God for that. But there might be some who come with real issues today, real issues. 
And God says, I'm giving you this word because I want you to overcome. And I don't know. It may just be one person here. It may be five. It may be ten. I don't know. But if that's you, then this is your opportunity to surrender and to lay it down and just say, hey, I'll never forget. It was weird. We were outside. It was uh, July 26, 2020. And I don't know. I went to this church service and I finally... I just laid it all down at the foot of the cross. And I gave my heart to Jesus. And I gave my sin away. And I just came to that place of absolute surrender. And the Lord says, if you overcome, then I've got a promise for you. You know, not only will you go to heaven, but when you get to heaven, he says right here, you're going to have some hidden manna. Now, I got to tell you this. Some teachers believe that the hidden manna and the white stone and the new name and all that is is just like your salvation. And it's just written in reference to Jesus because he is the manna from heaven. Amen? Okay, so maybe it is, you know, Jesus. But when I read the Bible, I, I especially, you know, prophecy, I try my best to take it literally. Literally. Remember earlier he told the church, hey, if you guys overcome, you're going to eat from the tree of life. Remember that? That's literal. So I believe this is actual. I believe this is literal. I believe that one day we are going to get some of that manna, that hidden manna. Do you remember in the Old Testament? I think it was Exodus chapter 17, right around there, where the Lord gave them manna. It was heavenly food. It was angel food, right? And then they put it in a jar, and then they put it in the Ark of the Covenant, And now we don't know where it is. So Indiana Jones does, but we don't know where it is, right? And so um, one day we'll eat. It could be a different manna, but I just have a a, a feeling maybe that it's that hidden manna. Today it's hidden. And you might say, well, Manny, there's not enough of the hidden manna, you know, for all of us to be able to eat. But don't you remember what Jesus did in John chapter 6? He multiplied the bread and he just gave it out. So you overcome, and you're going to receive that manna. You're going to receive a white stone. Now, some believe that because of the way that they describe the stones in those days, this is in reference to a diamond. And on that diamond, in the white stones of those days, there would be stones that would actually offer you entrance into a feast. And so we've talked about the fact that in heaven, there is going to be amazing food where pizza is good for you and all that kind of stuff, right? No, actually, it's going to be much better than that. I believe beyond our wildest imagination. But you get, you get, the, you get the, um, the manna and you get the stone to enter into that feast. And then it says that you're going to receive a name, a new name that only you know and the Lord knows. And what is that all about? You're like, why? Because of this intimate relationship that we have with God that can only be sometimes described in such a way. You know, you guys don't know the nickname I have for my daughter, huh? That's because it's between us. And I have um, names for my wife, too. You guys don't know it. Why? It's because that's between us. And if you overcome, if today you say, Lord, You know, I'm done with the sexual morality. I'm done with the idolatry. I'm going to lay down the sin. No more, 
you know, esteeming men, you know, the way that, unfortunately, the world has done. I'm, Lord, I'm done with all that. And you come and you get clean. God says, this is what's going to happen to you. You will be victorious and God will be glorified. It's a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. And so just like, uh, you know, life, you guys know this, right? That throughout life, we're constantly making decisions. And then those decisions make us. What the Lord is saying today is, is clean house. Manny and pastors, they struggle, we struggle. If there's any wickedness within, if any lusts are lingering, if there's any sin, you need to give it to me. And Manny, as a leadership and as a church, what I want you to do is I want you to do your best to be a pastor who will teach the truth, true doctrine. And if you ever, and if you guys ever find anyone that's teaching things or, or they hold these types of doctrines that are not good for us, then you need to let us know and so that we can have a church so that when Jesus looks at Calvary Chapel Almani, he'll be pleased. Because that's all we want. We want to be pleased. We want him to be pleased with us. If you're here, and I know most of you are not, I understand that, that you're not playing games with God. But if you are, you know, you may play the game, but God keeps the score. Let's get right with the Lord. He loves us. And I can't wait to eat that manna. Get that stone and discover what name God has for me. Probably shorty, but it's okay. It's, it's just between us. As long as it comes from Him, it's good. Lord, we thank You for loving us. Lord, we thank You for allowing us to be able to look in the mirror from time to time and ask by Your Holy Spirit that You would show us areas that need to be surrendered to You. Because You love us. That's why You point out things in my life that are not right. That's why you point out things in the church that are not right. Because you want us to get right and receive this reward that is beyond our wildest imagination. I believe it is heaven and, and rewards in heaven. But I also believe it has to do with life here, an abundant life that you offer us. And so, Lord, I, I pray, Father, bless your people. Lord, you know, um, you put your love inside of us as, as pastors for them. I can't even begin to imagine how much you love them. So I pray they would know that, Lord.